always wonderful to walk in the pulpit and look out over the audience and see so many smiling faces. I know many of you are loving the weather that has come into our parts. Hopefully it's going to be here for a while. Uh, I will remind you next Lord's Day morning, we don't want any of you to be late. It will be daylight savings time. You're going to lose an hour. So just get up an hour earlier and be ready to uh, come and to praise God together. As we begin, I want to talk again about God desires and He deserves all of me. God wants not just what you have, He wants you. God doesn't want just a part of you, He wants the very best of you. In Matthew 6 and verse 33, But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness And all these things shall be added unto you. Frequently we find ourselves trying to preach sermons and teach classes, trying to urge people to be faithful in their attendance. We talk about the work of the Lord's church as if it needs so much uh, of our energies, of our finances, and we find ourselves trying to persuade people how important it is to take care of these things. But the very basic idea of all this is God wants and God deserves the very best that we have to offer. As I was preparing this lesson and I was trying to think of something that reflected this idea, I thought of the song, When I Survey the Wondrous Cross. For just a few moments, I'd like for you to look at those words with me and think as we read them as we do when we sing them. Mr. Isaac Watts wrote in 1707, When I survey the wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory died, my richest gain I count for loss, but loss, and pour contempt on all my pride. Forbid it, Lord, that I should boast, save in the death of Christ my God. All the vain things that charm me most, I sacrifice them to his blood. See from his head, his hands, his feet, sorrow and love flow mingled down. Did e'er such sorrow or love and sorrow meet or thorns compose so rich a crown? And then it's the last verse that I think captures the idea the best. Were the whole realm of nature mind, that were a present far too small. Love so amazing, so so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. You see, when you look at what God has done for us, said for us, prepared for us, He deserves everything that you and I have to offer When Paul was writing the Corinthians, he recognized that some of them had not prepared as well as they should for the giving of the needy saints at Jerusalem. And he said, what I want to do is to bring to your mind what has happened among the churches of Macedonia. And he said, and not only as we had hoped, but they first gave themselves to the Lord and to us through the will of God. That's what we want to talk about is the kind of people who give all of themselves to God. 
And God wants us to use our physical bodies, our physical strength to serve Him. Now, for the past three weeks, we've discussed this idea from Mark chapter 12, verses 28 through 31, and particularly verses 30 and 31, which talks about God wants us to love Him with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind, and with all of our strength, and our neighbor as ourself. And we talked about the heart and about the emotional part of man, that part of man that has the love and the feeling. And then we talked about the mind and the soul, and we talked about now the strength. And if we start thinking about this body, the physical strength that you and I have, I want to look at it from three different aspects. First of all is the presented body. How you and I take our physical selves and we present that as a gift to God. We're going to look at how it is used in other passages of Scripture where some have chosen to present themselves to the devil. Then we want to talk about a purified body. What happens when we become Christians and what should happen as we daily try to walk with our Lord. And then finally a productive body, one that is serving, that is giving, that is doing what God would have us to do. If we think about a body being presented to the Lord, I want you to go with me to Romans chapter 12. Let's look at verses 1 and 2 as Paul talks about presenting ourselves to the Lord. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Just as under the Old Testament system, they would take an animal and they would bring that animal and present it to the Lord and say, here is now my sacrifice. God said, that's not what I want anymore. I want you to take yourself, your body, you, and present it to me as a living sacrifice. He said that is holy, that is acceptable to God, and that's reasonable. Reasonable. God's not asking any more from us than what we deserve to give Him. And then I love the way that you go on in verse 2 and he talks about this not being conformed to the world, being transformed, and he says, by the renewing of your mind, God wants all of me. But sadly, some people have decided that rather than presenting their bodies to God, they're going to present it to the devil, present it to evil. For instance, in Romans 1 and verse 24, Therefore God also gave them up to uncleanness and the lust of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves. When I read the first part of Romans, I understand that the people of the world do not think like godly people think. And what they do, they take their physical bodies and they present them either to idolatry, 
And it doesn't have to be a little small statue. It could be covetousness, the things in this world they live for. He goes on to say they dishonored their bodies through this uh, lust. And he begins to describe the ungodliness that goes along with it. When I get to chapter 6, there's a rather extended reading. And I want you to focus with me as we read through this. We're going to look at this one and one in 1 Corinthians And as Paul is describing the the way you and I present ourselves, we really have a choice. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body, that you should obey its lust. Now, pause just a moment here and notice he says, you don't let it reign or live or guide or direct or command your mortal body, as if now you no longer possess it, it possesses you. And do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin. You see this idea just like we present our bodies to God? Some people present their bodies to unrighteousness, to sin. He says, but present yourselves to God being alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. Oh, I can either present it to sin or I can present it to God. Verse 14, for the sin shall not have dominion over you for you are not under law but under grace. What then? Shall we sin because we're not under law but under grace? Certainly not. He goes on. Do you not know that to whom you present yourselves slaves to obey, you are that one slaves whom you obey, whether sin leading to death or obedience leading to righteousness? He's trying to tell them you have a choice. You can either present your life to God and it leads to life or you can present your life to the devil. You can present it to sin and that's going to lead to death. He said, but thanks be to God that though you were slaves of sin, he said, you obey from the heart that form of doctrine to which you were delivered, and having been set free from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. I speak in human terms because of weakness of your flesh, for just as you presented your members as slaves to uncleanness and lawlessness leading to more lawlessness. So now present your members as slaves of righteousness for holiness. He said, you've done that in the past. Now you've got to realize you've got to present your lives to God. In a very similar fashion when Paul wrote the Corinthians, he did the same thing in chapter 6, verses 12 through 20. He talks about all things being lawful, but not all things being helpful or expedient. And if you will notice in verse 13, he said, Foods for the stomach and stomach for foods, but God will destroy both it and them. Now here's the key. Now the body is not for fornication, but the Lord and the Lord for the body. He goes on in verse 15, Do you not know that your members are members of Christ? Shall I then take a member of Christ and make him members of a harlot? Certainly not. In a world in which Paul lived, fornication was a very prevalent thing. 
People were engaging in it everywhere. And he says, godly people don't do that. In 2016, in the United States, in the state of Tennessee, in McMinnville, fornication is around us everywhere. And we find people making the choice, will you serve God or will you serve the flesh? And they have chosen they want to serve the flesh. As you go on in verses 16 through 20, Or do you not know that he who is joined with a harlot is one body with her? For the two, he said, shall become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. Flee fornication. Verse 19, Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own? For you were bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and your spirit, which are God's. What is he saying? God wants us to take ourselves, present ourselves to him, not to an ungodly world. I know a lot of people will want to say, oh, what's important is my mind. What is important is my heart. What is important is what's within me. Yes, it is. But God wants the whole of man. In 1 Thessalonians 5, 23, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and that your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He wants us all. He wants us all to present ourselves to Him. Now I think once we've got that, let's move to the idea of a purified body. You see, for us to be useful for the Lord, our bodies have to be purified. Do you know under the Old Testament system that there had to be a purification made for those animals, they had to be washed, they had to be prepared. And when you start looking at you and I, for us to be useful for God, do we have to be purified? In Hebrews chapter 10, verse 22, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. What's he talking about? Having our bodies washed with pure water. Is he talking about some sort of a physical bath or something where you, you cleanse the physical part of the body? When you go to 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 21, there's also an antitype which now saves us. Baptism. Not the removal of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You see, what God wants is every person who knows what they are doing, who is willing to repent of their sins, who believes that Jesus is the Christ, to be baptized for the remission of their sins. When I go to books like the book of Acts and I see the conversions, in each case, in those conversions, those people were baptized for the remission of their sins. Before I can be a real service to God, I must be baptized. In 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 1, Paul would write, Therefore, having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness 
of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Oh yes, God wants us to clean our minds, to clean our conscience. We've already discussed that. But God wants a clean body as well. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 4, Paul would write that each of you should know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor. Looking at ourselves like I am a vessel. You know that song that we sang just a few moments ago. He has no hands but our hands. He has no feet but our feet. Am I the vessel that God can use to be able to do good things? In 2 Timothy chapter 2, Paul has talked to Timothy about in the house there's vessels of honor and vessels of dishonor. And he says, therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from the latter, that is a vessel of dishonor, he will be a vessel for honor, sanctified and useful for the master, prepared for every good work. He'll go on in the verses that follow to say, flee youthful lust. Make sure that you make yourself a vessel that can be of service to the Lord. The only way I can do that is to purify. That means to cleanse all the sin. You do that initially by becoming a Christian. How do I do that after I become a Christian? 1 John 1 verse 7, If we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus Christ His Son cleanses us from all our sins. But that's a daily struggle. That's something that you and I have to work on every day in our life to, to get rid of the sinful things that are there and avoid them. That's the reason why Paul would write in 1 Corinthians 9, 27, But I discipline my body and bring it into subjection, lest when I preach to others I myself should become disqualified. Do you mean Paul had to work every day to make sure that his body was purified and clean, not physically, but spiritually? He did. That's going to lead me to the third part of our lesson, being a productive body. When you think about the body being productive, you've got to think about the strength that is there, the physical strength there. And you've got to think about what this body can and should be doing in the Lord's service. When we get to Judgment Day, Paul in 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 10 said, For we all must appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. God's going to judge you and he's going to judge me on the day of judgment, what I did while I was in my physical body. How did I use it? Was I productive? Did I accomplish something for him? In Philippians chapter 1 and verse 20, Paul will talk about God being magnified, glorified in his body. Paul was in a situation where 
He did not know at that point whether he would live or die. He knew that situations were dire. It's during his imprisonment. And so he writes, according to my earnest expectation and hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed. But with all boldness as always, so now Christ will be magnified in my body, whether by life or by death. If I'm living, Paul would say, I am going to preach the gospel. If I die, I'm going to sacrifice myself for the Lord's service. In fact, in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 10, he put it like this. Always caring about the body, in the body, the dying of our Lord Jesus. That the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our body. Saying the same thing, just in two different contexts, in two different ways. That life must reflect doing something for God. Now, I tried to think of a good way to illustrate this and came across the passage from Daniel chapter 3. Let me set up the passage before we read the text here. If you'll remember, Nebuchadnezzar was a very vain king. He looked at those who were his subjects, including those Hebrews that had been brought in from Judah. And he commanded that everybody fall down and worship his image. However these three Hebrew young men said no. He gave them an opportunity. Maybe you didn't understand what I'm talking about. And they said, no, we understood. We're not going to do it. We're not going to fall down before this image here. Okay. Command the furnace to be heated seven times hotter. And throw these men, you bind them in their clothes, throw them in that fiery furnace. The men who threw them in the furnace were burned and consumed themselves. However, as they look in the fiery furnace, they see the three Hebrew young men, their clothes are not being consumed. The ropes have, have been burned off and they're let glow. And there's another one, one likened to the Son of Man. They're brought out before Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar now is humbled. Nebuchadnezzar now knows these people are protected by the angel of the Lord. And here's what he says. Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who sent his angel and delivered his servants who trusted in him. And they have frustrated the king's word and yielded their bodies that they should not serve or worship any god except their own god. You see, here's young men. They have made their decision what they're going to do and their, their lives reflect their respect for and their love for God. Young men, young women, you can show in your life by the way you live that you have respect for, that you have a strength of character, that your bodies will be honored and productive in the Lord's service. You see, when one resists sin, he stands strong. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 18, he says, Every sin that man does is outside the body, but he who commits fornication sins against his own body. You stand against sin, you say, I'm not going to participate in it. The world may, but I want 
you honor the Lord with your body. In Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 and 11, as Paul introduces the Christian armor, he says, Finally, brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Put on the whole armor that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Make sure that you are adorned in this great spiritual armor. When Paul gets to the end of 1 Corinthians chapter 16 and verse 13, as a word of encouragement at the end, he said, watch, stand fast in the faith, be brave, be strong. Let your life reflect that you're not going to let sin in. In Hebrews 11 and verse 34, the writer of the book of Hebrews has already talked about all those great people of faith, people like Abel, the people like Noah, people like Abraham and Sarah. And he gets down to a point where he's summarizing the lives of so many people and what they did, and he said... They have quenched the violence of the fire. They have escaped the edge of the sword. Out of weakness were made strong, became valiant in battle, turned to flight armies of aliens. Oh, you see these people, their physical strength was able to withstand the punishment and the persecution from those who didn't respect God. But you have to also realize it's not just avoiding sin. That as you and I love God with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind, with all of our strength, is that the strength that we have, we focus it toward doing good things for God. In James chapter 2, he talked about a person who says he has faith, but he doesn't have works. And he talks about a brother or sister who's naked and lacking, and he says, And one of you say to them, Depart in peace, be warmed and filled, but you do not give them the things that are needed for the body. What does it profit? Our hands should be hands of service, that when we see someone who has need, we try to provide that need. In 1 John chapter 3, verse 18, My little children, let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. I could think of a number of examples. I'm just going to use one to talk about the Lord's church and the Lord's people and what they do. I think about the situation that developed in the early part of the church. You have men who were selected to serve the widows in the daily ministration, the daily serving of tables. There were widows who were being overlooked among the number. They needed food to eat. And the apostles said, you, you look out for seven men whom we can appoint over this work so that the needs are being met. We need to be people who use our bodies to honor and glorify God. Now let me bring all of this together. As I prepare to end the lesson, I have to look and realize where does our strength often lie. 
And it lies many times in those whose bodies are physically young and physically strong. When John wrote his first letter, he was writing it to people of various stages in their spiritual lives. And he says in 1 John 2 and verse 14, I have written to you, fathers, because you have known him who is from the beginning. I have written unto you, young men, because you are strong and the word of God abides in you and you have overcome the wicked one. It's biblical to talk about the strength of youth. It's biblical to emphasize that many of you here in this audience here are young men and young women. And you not only have the knowledge that you need, he says, because the word of God abides in you, but you have a lot of physical strength, you have a lot of stamina, you have a lot of vigor. When it comes time to go out and knock doors, you can walk the full end of the street back and forward. You've gotten that physical strength where someone twice your age may not be able to do that. Realize the value that you have in your life now to serve the Lord. I don't want you to think that those who are of greater age are somehow not strong. It's just when you get a little older, your strength is in a different area. The young people have the physical vigor, the physical energy to do things. The older people sometimes have that spiritual energy, the the wisdom. In 2 Corinthians 4, 16, Therefore we do not lose heart, even though our outward man is perishing, yet our inward man is being renewed day by day. Young people, you may have the physical strength, but some of you older ones, you have some spiritual strength that can be exercised in the Lord's work. I think about Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 1. This is where we're going to leave the lesson. I don't want the Lord's church to want in the future for good, strong, hard-working leaders. It's so easy for people to think while they're young, I'm going to enjoy all of the pleasure this world has to offer and when I get older, then I'll serve the Lord. No, 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 that's not correct. Remember now your Creator and the days of your youth Before the difficult days come or the years draw nigh when you say, I have no pleasure in them. You have talent. You have ability. You have trust in God. Why not act upon it? If you've not yet become a New Testament Christian this morning, we're going to sing this encouraging song to try to urge you to respond to the Lord's invitation. Because you believe, repent of your sins, confess that faith and be baptized. If you are one of God's children and your strength has diminished because you've not been loving the Lord, you've not been committed to Him, you can be restored to faithfulness this morning. For those of you who are Christians, we'll pray with you and we'll pray for you that God will renew your strength, forgive you of your sins. What a great privilege we enjoy 
to be able to answer the Lord's call. Would you come while we stand and sing?